Here they come! Hello and welcome to episode 121 of Effectively Speaking, the podcast that takes a look at some of the special effects sequences of film and television, be they classic, average or duff. I'm your host Eric Moore and today I'm joined by Matt from Neozaz Productions to discuss the trapped in the house scenes from the War of the Worlds adaptations of 1953, 2005 twice and the 2019 BBC version. Here, but Doc, I'm kind of nervous when I take tests. Okay, then. So this is the third time we featured the War of the Worlds <laughs> on this show. And as ever, I'm joined by Matt from Neozaz Productions. Hello, Matt. Hello, Eric. Hello. I, I was just saying to you off air, I was looking through my notes. It's January since we last did a show together, which I'm stunned by. Um, but it's even further back. The the the, um, the 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 first time we talked War of the Worlds was the George Powell version, you know, the heat ray being used for the first time. And in that show, in, in this show's history, that must have been, I, I haven't got it written down, but it must have been like episode 20 or something. We're now episode 121. So oh it was God. a long time <laughs> ago. But I do remember in that show saying, we will come back and do another effect sequence from the George Powell version. So here we are. So welcome back to this, Matt. No, thank you. Happy to be here and always happy to talk about War of the Worlds and in almost any form. I was reminded of another form in preparation for this, but we'll get to that. All right, we'll get to that. And I've got I've got a recommendation for you at the end of this. I've got to remind okay. myself to tell you about that. All right. So, yeah, we're, we're going to talk about um, the trapped in the house sequence, you know, of, on various versions of the War of the Worlds. Um, and because of this trapped in the house sequence i thought a lot of people you know you say to them war of the worlds they'll think jeff wayne's war of the worlds they'll think awesome wells's war of the worlds they might think the george powell one they might think of the spielberg one one god forbid they might think of the bbc one um <laughs> but i thought for, for for people who only know an audio version or a film version i thought before we actually start today i thought i would just mention um for those that don't know, um, the well from which this all came, i.e. the HG well <laughs> that it all sprung from, um, the, the sequence as it appeared in the novel, yes? Alrighty. So, so if you don't mind me, uh, if, if you don't mind me uh, just indulging me for a minute, Matt, I'm, I'm just going to just have a little, just say a little bit about what is actually in the novel, and then we can actually compare and contrast just how faithful each version was to the source material. Okay? Sounds good. All right. So, yeah, a little preamble before we start then. Um, the sequence in the novel appears in book two, and book two is called The Earth Under the Martians. And uh, in chapter one, it's called Underfoot. And it's H.G. Wells, this scene, this sequence is H.G. Wells quite literally saying mankind is underfoot because mankind, i.e. the narrator, is underfoot with the Martians just outside. All right. Um, he's already met up with the curate 
or the curate. In America, do you have a curate in America? Do you know what a curate is? No, we, we might have it by another term. So if you can give me a quick broad stroke, I might be able to answer that question. Well, a curate is like an assistant to a vicar or a priest. Ah, uh, yeah, I guess. I don't know what the name would be, but I, yeah, I, I think uh, I think we do. And maybe it is called a curate. You're actually tapping into a subject I know very little about, organized right. religion. So that's where okay. I fall down. <laughs> All right. And they're in Sheen. And Sheen is a suburb of southwest London. All right. Not far mm -hmm. from the west end of London where, you know, you and your wife were a few years ago. Right. Um, and they've broken into this house to forage for food and drink um, when the fifth cylinder crashes and lands into the house right next door to them trapping them um they're never in a basement a lot of people think you know that this scene is in a basement and i think a largely a large part of that to do is the jeff wayne version people remember that they're not in they're in this thing called a scullery again do you know what a scullery that is? i do know yes yes all right okay well they're in a scullery and the house is on the edge of a pit where the cylinder is and the martians have excavated it and from a small gap in the wall they can view what's going on and by viewing what's going on, they're giving us, the reader, an insight and more information on these invaders. Um, and this crater has got a, a tripod on the rim of the crater standing guard. And the Martians are all crawling about and uh, using these handling machines, these things called handling machines, which they use to build the tripods and other machines, um, which H.G. Wells says resemble five-legged metallic spiders i've always wondered where the fifth leg goes if you've if, if you've got a spider with only five legs i'm figuring two on each side and one at the back is that how that would work I, i'm not uh, i would say the front or the back because on either side would be a little uh um what's uh it would be oh i can't think of the word i un uneven is not the word i'm looking for but it's something like that so i'd say front or back would be the best choice, I guess. You could have a teeny tiny one on the underside, I which guess, sort of yeah. like oh, I runs guess. along with it, you know? <laughs> yeah. It would look bloody stupid. But... It could just be kind of hanging in the middle if it needs to do a sharp turn that it just stands on that one leg and quick turns right <laughs> and or left. Pivots and round or something. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Because, of course, this is HG Wells. I mean, that's why the tripods are tripods. Nothing in nature has three legs. And so if they've got a handling machine, well, it's got to have five legs. Right. Because nothing yeah. in nature's got five legs, unless it had six legs and one fell off. Well, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And we also get our best description in this part of the book of what the Martians look like. Uh, they're heads, basically. They are heads about four feet in diameter, no nostrils, uh, very large, dark-colored eyes, a fleshy beak, and then you've got these groups of tentacles, eight on each side of the beak going around the mouth. And then they've got this drum-like surface on the top of their heads, which is essentially their ear. And so, yeah, the narrator and the curate are watching this and they watch the handling machines. The handling machines are oper operating a machine which can transform soil into aluminium, which is what they're making all their craft out of. And the, the scene ends with the two having a tussle. The curate is getting more and more, you know, he's more and more losing faith. Uh, he's getting more and more drunk. And uh, the two eventually have a tussle. The curate is knocked out. This tentacle, this robotic tentacle comes in, explores the room, and drags him away. And the sequence ends with the narrator. He finally forces his way out just through desperation and starvation and finding the Martians' camp was deserted. The Martians have all moved on, uh, but the landscape is radically changed. It's covered with red weed. 
right? So that's how it is in the book for anybody who doesn't know what happens in the book, right? And it's worth bearing in mind when we talk about the different versions we're going to talk about today. Um, just bear that in mind, okay? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, in fact, I've come up with a little tally thing, a little tick box, right, as, as we go on to see just, you know, how, uh, how accurate and authentic all the different versions are, <laughs> all right? I did not, but I can, uh, I can probably fill one of those out mentally after just yeah, review those. Just go with the flow, Matt, go <laughs> with right. the flow. All right, okay. so, so we're going to start today with the 1953 version, the George Powell version. Now, as I say, Matt and I have been effusive in our praise and our love for this version. Is that not right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I thought rather than go over it all again, um, I urge you, the listener, to go over to neozaz.com, just type War of the Worlds in the search bar that's on the page, and not only will you get Matt and I, you know, um, effusing over the George Powell thing, um, you also find loads of other War of the Worlds themed things that... uh, uh, Neozaz has done over the years, especially the product you were putting out over past Halloweens. Yeah, in fact, it's uh, we have so many. It's uh, if you go to, um, you don't even need to search it. You can go right to the podcast tab on the website, and it has its own category at this point because it's just was we had done so many over the past. I don't know how many years now, mm. so that'll even narrow it down quicker with a fewer clicks. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. If 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 this episode is going to whet your appetite, go over there. That you, you've got hours and hours of War of the Worlds <laughs> themed product to yep. to listen to. All right. Yes. Okay, so the George Powell version, we're talking about, um, um, as I say, the Trapped in the House sequence. And um, in this very first depiction, you've got Forrester, played by Gene Barry, and Sylvia, played by Anne Robinson. Not the Anne Robinson that everybody thinks of from, you know, Weakest Link and all like this. <laughs> I never even... That's... I can't believe that's never crossed my mind. That's, that's never hilarious. crossed your mind that, yeah, yeah she, she just, is it, Anne Robinson. <laughs> yeah, I guess every time I hear... Those names, they're in the right context, and it don't confuse me. Because I, 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 I don't ever think I have much crossover of War of the Worlds and Weakest Link, but I, it, it's that's funny. I'd never thought of that in all these years. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, unfortunately, thanks to bloody Weakest Link, I can't help but thinking <laughs> of that Anne Robinson when you know, I hear the name Anne Robinson. Yeah, well, yeah. Now, now now, I will too. But... <laughs> yeah, sorry, Matt. Sorry no, about that. Okay. I don't see why I should suffer alone. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. So, so yeah, they've escaped from the Martians' attack. They've. Um, this is shortly after the the sequence um, where you know the Martians come out of the sil- uh, crater for the first time, and the army gets that whooping. Um, they flee. They they find this little biplane. They take off um, and crash because there's a, a fighting machine coming towards them, and they find this farmhouse, and um, they're in there. They're um, uh, having their ba- bacon and eggs or whatever they're having, <laughs> I, that dates it. I mean, you know, fifties films are dated, you know, by their very nature. Any film is dated, you, you, you know. But but to have you know Forrester um, just just standing there while uh, Sylvia makes him eggs, <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. It's like oh come on, chip him, buddy, you know. Right. 
But there's a roar, there's a green flash, and the cylinder lands. Um, I like the fact in this version, you know, I think you said in the first time we talked about the George Powell one, you know, the, the use of colour oh, in this yeah. film is terrific. And especially green. They've picked up on the fact that in the novel, you know, the cylinders land with a green flash in the sky. You know, we have the green on the front of the fighting machines. And we have it here. We have a green flash in the sky just before the cylinder lands. Yes. And and it does land. It's bright red. Good attention to detail. It's it's flaming hot and it lands somewhat horizontally that's a bit of a shame uh, that it actually lands horizontally um and crashes into the model of the farmhouse now this is terrific because not only have they built the model of the farmhouse they've built the cylinder they've found out a way of moving it i guess there's a rod underneath pulling it along but while this is all happening another cylinder lands in the background you can see another cylinder falling through the sky and landing now that's all done in camera there's that they, they, they weren't compositing shots this is a practical effect happening in miniature form right and uh, that's the um i know that i having just watched this that's kind of like that purple uh it's it's the red ish purplish thing that goes down and um i jumped right to the scene and i even even having watched this many times, sometimes it takes me a minute to realize what's happening and going on. And at first, I thought it was a uh, uh, oh, what the heck did I think? Um, I thought maybe I went to the wrong scene and I was coming up on an attack scene. But I think I'm what I'm trying to say is that's a compliment to the entire movie. All these effects are done so well that there's not one that stands out that I can pinpoint as being hokey or worse than the others. That it actually not knowing what scene I'm in is a compliment to the overall look of the film mm. of how well it's all done. Yeah, 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 no, I, I agree totally, yeah. Um, the next scene, Forrester's been knocked out for hours, and, um, and, and we get this terrific model shot, again, of a fighting machine outside the farmhouse as it comes down and lands, and we get the thing that opens the show every time we do the yes. show the snake rattle sound effect again we've been heaping tons of praise on the sound design on this film as well haven't we oh yeah yeah that's an iconic sound it, it's i think that's another one of those sounds that if people haven't necessarily seen this movie or all the way through they may at least recognize that sound as being you could say oh that's from a sci-fi movie i don't know what it is but but i, I recognize it it's that iconic yep and you know, I've watched this film so many times, but it is creepy as heck. That yeah. is a creepy, creepy sound. No matter how yep. many times you listen to it, that is a creepy sound. That's why I've chosen it for the background for my introduction yep. for every you know episode of this show. Um, we don't really see the cylinder again. What we see is a uh, a camera tentacle come out of the body, the lower body of the fighting machine, and. It's quite a, a, a spooky shot. I know that, you know, now, I mean, you know, um, I, I'm, I'm not sure of the certification in the US, but over here, this film is a PG, parental guidance. I think you have the same, don't you? You have parental guidance? Yeah, this is probably PG as well. I, I, yeah. I don't think any, I, it would, it definitely would have been R, and I think it's a little too much for G back in the day. Now it'd probably be PG 13, but I'd say mm. PG is probably what it was released as. Yeah, well, I know that it was an X over here. It was an adults only film when it came out in 53. And, oh, really? 
Yeah, and this, oh, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, on Facebook, I'll I'll be putting up posters, various posters of the incarnations of this film. And yeah, the the UK ones, it's clearly got a whacking great big X on it. But Jeez. now you can, yeah, now you just watch it on a Sunday morning, on right? TV, yeah, you know, and uh, uncut. But but this moment when this tentacle comes in through the window, it is still quite a chilling moment, you yep. know, be, 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 because it comes in and. Very slowly, with no no, no great fanfare or, or whatever, the eyelids open, don't they? Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I'll say something about that that I never really noticed until uh, this viewing. But yes, it does. It's like a. I guess it's supposed to. Oh, it is a, a camera of sorts, and I guess that's kind of like the shutter opening uh, mm. or or the lens cover being taken off of a, of your camera. Yeah, and it's a classic design. It's a beautiful piece of sculpture, the the, the original sculpture, and then the, I guess they cast it in fiberglass. But you know, it is a beautiful piece of work. You know, with the the the, the tricolor lens for it. it. It is it is beautiful. Are you talking about the wire holding it up? No, no. I was actually. I'll go. I'll, it's not a spoiler. Um, I'll just say when it closes, it like there's a moment where I looked up as it was closing i think i was writing something down and it was half closed and it made it look like it had a sad face because all those lenses were partly covered oh, it looked like yes. it looked like the bottom part was a sad mouth <laughs> and the eyes were crying we've got to try and like freeze frame that and yeah that on facebook as well yeah 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 but it's curious you know the martians are curious that they're, they're, right. they're checking this house out um we go outside we've got uh, two fight machines out there and another cylinder lands and the next bit, I mean, this is a terrific sequence, but this bit I, I, I'm always taken out of because Sylvia see, sees the Martian, right? And I don't think it's done very well. It's too brightly lit. This very first time we see the Martian, it's too brightly lit. Um, and we see too much of it. The camera holds on it for too long before it cuts away. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think the first time I saw it, it was probably so much going on in that scene that it that didn't necessarily hit me but you're i can't argue with that in this viewing it does it, it the, the lighting is the thing that stands out the most after you already know what's going to happen and then you're right it is kind of still just a hair too long before it scurries away yeah it's the lighting because it looks almost salmon pink in that shot i mean obviously it wasn't but the way they've overlit it it makes it look almost pink you know yeah um and and she gives a scream forrester wants to go and have a look at them and tries to find a way out to go and have a look at them. Um, and that's when the camera comes back in. And the only problem I have, I don't think we really talked about it when we discussed this film before. The only problem I've got with this film is Anne Robinson's overacting, right? Because when she does a scream, she goes from zero to gone beyond <laughs> 11, doesn't she? She just. Yeah, I guess she does, yeah. Mm, yeah. But uh, she starts screaming um, and. Forrester comes along with an axe and cuts the head off and the tentacle retracts. Um, this is the moment now. She shouldn't have seen that Martian to begin with because when we now know that the Martian is coming to find out what happened to the tentacle, that is spooky. We see shadows on the wall, don't yeah, we? We don't right. see the Martian. Um, and that's when we get the moment, you know, the classic moment. You, you know, there's stills of it, there's posters of it. It yep. was used in a lot of the publicity. The <laughs> hand up and over and onto her shoulder, you know. I think it's on the cover of every anniversary 
of Starlog, of War of the Worlds anniversary of Starlog. I have so many copies of this picture on magazine covers. Yeah. It, it, it is classic. It, yep. I don't like using the word iconic, but that is an iconic shot from 50s science fiction films. Yep. There's, because there's, it's a still, and she's not screaming, so that yeah. she's all right in that bit. Yep. But, but then, right, when... Forrester turns around and he sees the Martian. We have this odd pose because of the limitations of the Martian suit. (laughs) He's straight on, but his arm is off, you know, to the side. Um, You know, it does look very odd, but that's the limitations of the suit. Um, But we have this brilliant close-up straight after that, you know, with the, you you know, the the tricolored eye, with the pulsing veins in the head. This doesn't, they haven't cut it too too long here, you know. It's just right the uh, yep. the amount of time. I'd like to know what the audience of the fifties thought of this. Did they find it intense? Did they find this scary? You know, yeah. Because um, it does look great. It's a brilliant close up, and that's when Forrester throws uh, something at it, and it legs it out, doesn't it? Right. <laughs> and I thought of you as uh, at this moment because it looks so much like E.T., the way he just scoots out of there. That's E.T. running away when he's scared, you know? It, Yeah, it does have a very E.T. look to it. And I don't know if it's a conversation you and I have had or if I read this or someone else mentioned this. I, I, and I have no references whatsoever, but I, I have a memory of something telling me or someone telling me that E.T. was based after this in at least uh an homage to him but i have no idea where i got that information from well i don't know i mean color wise i I certainly can see that you know the color palette they use for et but i i'm it wasn't me that said it but i remember reading somewhere the moment when elliot is like looking at up at the window or something, and E.T.'s hand comes up and puts his hand on his shoulder. I've read before that that's a homage to this moment. You just see the hand come up and, and put his hand on his left shoulder, just like okay. the Martian does on Anne Robinson's shoulder. And that yeah. could be what I read, too. I mean, like I said, it was, I, I cannot even remember where I heard this, and it may have just changed so much in my mind. That mm. Then that could be what I'm referring to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so, so yeah, he, he legs it out of there, doesn't he? Um, and we get more overreacting from Anne Robinson when she sees that <laughs> that blood on the cloth, uh, Forrester's you know they're gonna go. He picks the. He has the foresight to pick the camera up and wraps it in a cloth, and it's got blood on it. And yeah, oh god, she's terrible at uh, <laughs> emoting. And um, and our sequence ends as they flee from the farmhouse, just as the Martians blow it up. Conveniently, they've got enough time to get out of there before the Martians blow up the farmhouse. I guess that's the same amount of time it takes for the Martian to climb back up into the I guess. Uh, yeah. fighting machine. You know, so that's our sequence over. Right? For right. The, the, the 53 thing, right? And you know the deal on this show. Uh, when we've finished talking about sequence, we're going to behind the scenes, right? Yes. Now, I've got quite a lot on this and hardly any on any uh, of the other versions. So, um, okay. So it's a bit of a balanced thing. Um, I'm sorry to bore you, Matt, if you know um, any of this, all right? Um, so, right. With this version, the screenwriter, Barry Lyndon, he decided this sequence we've just talked about is going to be a good point to introduce some tension and suspense back into the film after the big action set piece that's just been on, and also a way to uh, introduce the viewer to the Martians. 
uh, well, Martian, because it's singular. They didn't yeah. have enough money to, you know, show more than one Martian. They only had one Martian suit. They didn't have any money to show just what they were doing down in, in the crater, okay? Um, so they decided to have this uh, eye come in on a tentacle as a camera. They did it... Um, I've seen it. I've put it on my War of the Worlds page. You know that they've they've based mm-hmm. it on the uh, make of TV that was around a, a tricolor TV or whatever it was called. You know, with the three colors. It, it's completely a crib on that. Okay. Um, yeah. So they were going to have a tentacle to as the first part of the suspense, followed by the fella himself. All right. Now the original script for this sequence we've just talked about was far more gruesome and gory than uh, what we eventually got. And uh, I'm just going to read a bit of it, okay? This is the script. Um, A hand on an arm that isn't an arm comes through a broken glass door which once led to the patio. The limb has ribbed degenerate muscular... I can't say muscular lature. Thick veins. It ends in a hand shape with three finger-like suckers. These fasten on Sylvia's shoulder, spreading drawing her backwards towards the door. She tries to scream, but horror paralyzes her voice. She is at the door before Greg, he was called Greg back then, before Greg (laughs) knows what's happening. He empties his gun past her, blasting whatever is beyond the doorway. Then he chops at the arm and cuts clear through, his axe head biting deep into the doorpost and stopping there. An inhuman scream sounds outside. The suckers still cling to the girl's shoulder, Greg pulls off what is left of the loathsome arm, the suckers tear away part of her blouse. So, yeah, that was a bit more intense than what we finally saw, don't you think? Yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> yes, but, uh, yeah, George Powell read that. Uh, no, he wasn't having that. He, he wanted changes straight away. Um, he wanted not only there to be suspense in this, but fascination. He wanted Forrester to be fascinated. He wanted the Martians to be fascinated. Okay. Mm, okay. Yeah, and yeah, yeah um, Clayton Forrester, he, he, he sees it as an opportunity to observe the Martians, okay? And yeah, when that Martian comes in and he does that odd pose, it's not through any sort of aggression, is it? It, it is more uh, curiosity, okay? So yeah, the design of the Martian fell to a guy who we've talked about when we were talking about the design of the fighting machines, Al Nazaki. And uh, he was given two things he had to work with. Number one, it had to be cheap. And number two, it had to be somewhat realistic. Okay. That's yeah. almost, they almost cancel each other out. Um, indeed. In the 50s, certainly. <laughs> yes. Um, so he latched onto in the script, it says about there being a three lensed remote camera and, and the sucker hands. So with that in mind, he passed the design on to Charlie Gamora to make it. Now, Charlie Gamora is an unsung hero of, you know, uh, special effects. Um, And I wish they'd do a biopic on him because his background is fascinating. Do you know who Charlie Gamora is? Do you know who I... I... No, I do not. Right. Well, Charlie Gamora, um, he was born in the Philippines and he stowed away on a a ship uh, sailing to America. Okay. And he arrived in California just as the birth of cinema was taking off, okay? And what he did um, to earn money, he would hang around the Universal Entrance offering to sketch portraits of people as they were coming and going, okay? And it wasn't long before, you know, his talent uh, for art was noticed and 
his film career began because back in those days you could do it. Hey, kid, you want to work in movies, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. um, and he started off working on films such as, you know, Universal's uh, Phantom of the Opera and, uh, and Noah's Ark. Both, in both versions, he was uh, like a sculptor. He started off as a sculptor, okay? Um, hang on, I've lost my second piece of paper. Oh, there it is. I've got so many pieces of paper <laughs> for this show, right? Um, and so, yeah, he, he started off as a sculptor, but when he began working on creating gorilla suits for films, all right? Okay. Because, of course, yeah, back in the 20s and 30s, you had an awful lot of gorilla films, you yeah, know? Yeah, you did. <laughs> yes, yeah. And he was only five foot five, and he realized that while making gorilla suits, actually, I could make these, and I could be the gorilla as well. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, and he got a bit of a reputation as being a gorilla man, okay? And over 30 years, he worked over 30 years in Hollywood, um, working on and refining all these suit effects. Um the early ones, if you look back at some of the early ones, the ones in the 20s, they were, you, you, you know, his skills and the materials that he had were rather basic. So they look rather grotesque and basic. But um, as his, you know, uh, talents evolved, so did the gorilla suits. And um, he would go down to San Diego Zoo and study gorilla performances. Mm. And, uh, and he appeared in an awful lot of gorilla films as a gorilla, okay, he, one of my favourite Lauren Hardy shorts, The Chimp, he, he, he played um, Ethel, the gorilla in that, you know, but he was also in Charlie Chase films, R Gang films, Marx Brothers, Abbott and Costello, uh, uh, Hope and Crosby. And uh, as I say, he worked in makeup and special effects right up until his death in 1961. But mm. through pretty much all of it, you can call him the uncredited man, all right? Now, I've got a list here of... Uh, notable films he worked on, right? Okay. So here we go. Hunchback of Notre Dame, the very first Hunchback of Notre Dame. He did the sculptures, the gargoyle sculptures for Notre Dame. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, uncredited. Um, the Lost World, the 1925 Lost World. He was the uh, ape in that. He, he created it and, and performed in it. Uncredited. Phantom of the Opera. He was um, one of the sculptors working on the Opera House set. Uh, uncredited. Sign of the Cross. He was a gorilla suit in that. Yeah, that's that really dodgy one from 32 where there's this inference that the women are going to be tied to a stake and then the gorilla comes in and, and rapes them. Oh. Um, yeah, well, that was him. <laughs> Uncredited. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, here, War of the Worlds, making the, the, the Martian suit and performing it. Uncredited. Okay. Uh, he created the ants in The Naked Jungle, the uh, Charlton Heston film. Uncredited. One of my favourite... 50s B movies, The Colossus of New York. He created that suit, that terrific suit, uncredited. He did makeup on the Ten Commandments, uncredited. Around the World in 80 Days, makeup, uncredited. I Married a Monster from Outer Space. He did the alien in that, uncredited. Jack the Giant Killer, makeup. That's the first one where he actually got a credit. Oh, wow. For Jack the Giant <laughs> Killer, you know. So, yeah, he was given the gig of, yeah, you've got to come up with this realistic Martian cheaply. And uh, he worked in a small shed uh, behind Stage 5 on the Paramount lot. Uh, his assistant was his 12-year-old daughter. I'm, guess <laughs> I'm guessing because that saves on money, doesn't it? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. And this Martian uh, was made, it was a chicken wire framework, uh, which was overlaid with uh, plaster bandage, rubber, and tubing for the veins. And in those arms there, he had a wire system built in uh, to move the fingers, um, 
you know, for the, the gripping scene. And also at the end, where you see the arm come down out of the fighting machine at the end. Um, the back was open uh, to gain entry, okay? So he climbed in through the back. Um, because of his size, he was the one who was, it was decided to uh, to operate it. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Um, it ended at the lower torso. There were no legs ever made for uh, for the Martian uh, because he was just going to be moved on a trolley, basically. And uh, I've seen over the years, lots of people have, have illustrated <laughs> and they've come up with yeah. models and none of them work for me. They really don't right. work. Yeah. It all, it, yeah. The, the, I've seen that too. And the late, there's just no one seemed to hit on exactly what's happening below the waist on him. It's it's never quite looks like it matches the rest of the. No, even when they do the three legged versions, yeah, you know, it it it, it doesn't work, does it? Mm. Right. No, yeah. I've not seen one that I've said that that yeah that I I thought looked like that's what it should be. Yeah, I mean, when when, when you know. Uh, Clayton throws something at the Martian and he flees with that scream. You know, he looks a bit odd. And that's the reason he looks a bit odd is there is somebody off screen pulling the trolley <laughs> as hard as they can. And yeah. he is actually falling backwards. When you look at that Martian, he's tipping back. And yeah, if they had kept the camera going and followed him, yeah, he, he would have fallen <laughs> over on his back. It's like a cartoon when they, they're running so fast. Or yeah, get they're ahead going of backwards. Yes, <laughs> definitely. The, the arms on this Martian are too long, really, for what yeah. they should be. And that's because they repurposed arms for, for from another creature design that he was making, which was like a six-foot-tall creature. Ah, so so okay. that's why the arms are too long. But, yeah, Charlie would put his arms in the arms of the Martian. His hands would go up to roughly where the elbows were on the Martian. And that's where the uh, the ring-pull wire things were for operating the fingers. Okay. Right? Yeah, and the pulsing veins on, on the head and in the arms, that was actually his daughter. She had like a hypodermic syringe just below out of shot, and she was pumping them to actually make ah, them okay. work. Yeah. Uh, the Scream of the Martian is a recording of a paramount female employee. Um, <laughs> and they slowed it down to give it a more manly quality, then played it backwards and sped it back up. I mean, when you listen to it, the first bit sounds shrill, and quite mm -hmm. alien, but but as it ends, I think I, I think they did something at the end. If you listen to that, it almost becomes a female scream at the very very end. It becomes far more human at the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say so too. Yeah, uh, the exterior shots of the uh, the farmhouse where you see the Martians and the cylinder. Um, I don't know if I remember. I don't remember whether I said this when we uh, spoke about this film before. But they only had one miniature landscape for every exterior in the film so so this one which is the farmhouse this is also um the the miniature landscape they use for where the cylinder was where the first martians come out where the marine detachment was and also the bean field that the uh biplane clayton crashes into it's all mm. one set which they re redressed every time obviously in this case plomp yeah. uh, a, a farmhouse down and they changed the uh, the sky backdrop as well just to uh, oh, okay. make it look like something else yeah right yeah the the wrecking of the farmhouse when they actually um you know the cylinder lands i mean that was a practical effect and basically what they did they 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 made the, the farmhouse and pretty much everything that falls over it is being pulled on wires so no. <laughs> you know you're on cue everybody pulls a wire and and it basically collapsed in on itself 
Um, only a little bit where you had the two actors in it, but then once they moved out, they could do it properly, and that's when you got all the destruction. Right, right. Right? And the final thing I've got about this one is the estate of H.G. Wells was so knocked out and so pleased by, you know, what George Power had done with this. They said, you can choose anything you want from, you know, Wells's estate if you want to make another Wells film. And that's why he then went on to do The Time Machine, because they basically oh, okay. said, do anything you want, you know? That's great. All right, so that's that. That's that sequence over. So before we go on to a rating, because we've got to rate each of one of these today as well, Matt. Um, Alrighty. How accurate this one is, right? Okay. Now, <laughs> now I, I've got my little tally sheet, and there are basically seven things we need to tick off, all right, as we okay. go for each one of them. The first one is, is it in a scullery, right? Mm-hmm. Is, is the curate in it? Is there a cylinder in it? Uh, do they observe what's going on? Um, is there going to be a fight? Uh, is there a tentacle? And is there red weed? Right? So I think in this one we can say, well, they're in a kitchen, so we could say that is a scullery. Yes? Okay. All right? There is no curate. You've just got Anne Ro- Robinson over overacting. Uh, you do have a cylinder. You clearly do have a cylinder. They don't really observe, though, do they? They don't. They don't peer out because I guess if they peered out, the audience would need to see what they're looking at, and therefore you would have had to have made something. So mm-hmm. I think that's the reason why they didn't look out. Uh, of course, of course, there's no fight between uh, Forrester and uh, Sylvia. We do have the tentacle, though, don't we? Yes. But in the George Powell version, there is no red weed. There is never once any red weed, is there? No. So this first one gets a three. It gets a three out of seven. All right? Okay, okay. Okay, so that's that's how accurate it is. But now we've got to talk about the rating of the special effects out of okay. ten. Okay. You first, oh, you want me Matt. to go first? Yes. Okay, all right. No problem. Um, there's... I mean, it's not it's not perfect, and I think um, you pointed out the imperfections of it. The first appearance of the Martian in broad daylight, when it's like the the rest of the feeling is not (laughs) not that sunny of a day, or or even in the day at all. Uh, The running of the Martian away—that's kind of funny. Now you pointed out that in falling back, I can't not see that now. Reviewing this (laughs) clip, but one thing I do like about this a lot. I like a lot about this, even before we've discussed it on the show, is I like the the, the simple connection of that the camera lens that is on the one tentacle with the red, blue, and green matching the Martian's eye because mm. camera lenses match the lens of our eye yep. as well. And I always love that little... I wouldn't even say a little detail. I love the fact that that was considered. So I like the design... I like all the Martian design, everything, all the equipment. I like the Martian himself for the time, and I like the set. I like the the effects, but I like I said, not perfect. So I'm going to go. I wanted to say eight, but I'm actually going to go seven in the movie as a whole because there are things in this I like even more. So I'm going to go ahead and say a seven on this one. It's rare, actually, on this show that I I rate things higher than the guest okay and 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 this is an occasion i've given it a nine wow okay um and and that's me divorcing myself from the nostalgia 
of right. uh, and, and the love of the film. I, I I think it's I think they're fantastic effects for their time, and I think you know even though yes you've got a bit of an odd pose with the Martian and yes he's clearly falling over. Um, it's charming, you know. So so I'm giving it a nine. You give it a seven. It gives it an eight. Okay. All right. Okay. So so that's our first one done. So that was 1953. We've got to zoom all the way forward to 2005 now. You miss your mommy? I had a little girl. Nearly your age. You know, if anything happens to your daddy, I'll take care of you. Rachel. You don't have anything to say to her. Do you understand? If you want to talk to somebody, if you want to ask a question, you ask me. What exactly is your plan, Ray? I know what I'm going to do. How about you? You're going to sit here, wait for them to come get you? Is that your plan? Maybe you want to get caught. A couple days hiding in the basement too much for you, I bet. Probably turn yourself right in. Listen. We just talked. Maybe you'll be okay. Maybe you'll get lucky and they'll train you as their pet. You know, feed you, train you how to do tricks. You shut up and listen! Okay. The Steven Spielberg one. Now, I'm I'm very interested to hear what you have to say about this, Matt, because you and I have never, ever talked about the Spielberg version. So do you want to start things off by saying what your opinions are before we get into the sequence? Yeah, sure. Um, I actually like the first... I never timed it. We'll say like the first hour, anywhere between 40 minutes and an hour of this. I love all the Martian stuff in the beginning. I love the attack. I think it starts off really, really well really fast some really great effects but then after the uh kind of the martian takeover that turning point it's almost a, a different pace a different movie and i have not watched the second half of this movie in a very long time and i've not seen this scene in that for a long time probably this is the first time i probably watched it in the last 10 times i've even had this movie on my tv screen because i had to watch it for this show so i think it starts off great and then falls apart and never never returns i think what we're seeing here is it's the curse of cruise basically yeah, isn't yep. it? you know <laughs> you you and i watch it for the martians but it's like the tom cruise mummy film you know you're yep. gonna you're gonna get far more tom cruise than the, the than the rest of it you know yeah. and for that reason i mean yeah i i i enjoy the beginning i like the beginning i've got problems with the film and the changes that they did with it by the fact that you know They've been buried for thousands of years, and and oh but... yeah, that's true too. Yeah, I mean, if I not, I didn't even take story in consideration in my general overview. Yeah, that there's a mess there too. Yeah, I don't don't get me wrong. I don't want to gloss over that. But I do like the tripods. I like yep. I, I like the tripods. I like their sound effect. I've I've realised while you know thinking about the show we're doing today, one of the the, the the very difficult things, at least for me, for people to pull off, is a convincing alu effect of the right. Martians. It's cool, um, and but I like I like the Spielberg version. 
I like its bendy legs. Um, I like the tripods. I can't stand the Martians. We're going to be talking about them shortly. <laughs> but it becomes a Tom Cruise in peril film, like all his films yep. do. And because it's Tom Cruise, with very little exceptions, you know he's going to make it to the end. So yep. therefore, you know, you know, there is no danger. There, there is no anxiety because you know he's going to make out of it that's why i can't watch the mission impossible films because yeah. he's going to win he's going to win every time and i um yeah i i i, I watch a war of the worlds film because i want to see the war of the worlds yeah. i don't want to see tom cruise and his two kids yeah um running and around the, the countryside and the uh, the the whole tom cruise factor he has got the thick the thickest set of plot armor on during that Martian attack because uh, how many shots barely miss him he actually touches a guy who gets disintegrated and nothing happens to him I mean this you're, you're right there's absolutely no feeling of threat towards that character at any second of this movie no. when I sat down to do research for the Spielberg version I had an egg sandwich and a cup of coffee right and now uh -huh. I can't eat I can't eat my egg sandwich <laughs> and and write notes at the same time so I put it on and I thought I know while I'm having my egg sandwich and my coffee I'll watch the opening because I like the opening okay yeah. and it is blatant blatantly obvious like you say there every time he's anywhere something blows up just behind him it becomes yep. ridiculous when you've got that big overpass thing falling down and you've got lorries smashing and, and they've even got air jets either side of him blowing debris and that and yeah. he, he just gets the dust of the people on him it is just ridiculous nobody's that lucky nobody no, no <laughs> nobody is that lucky uh, yeah i certainly cannot relate to him to maybe it's his gorgeousness he's so gorgeous <laughs> it's like a force field which keeps uh, you know anything ugly away from him you know I but guess, no yeah. no it, yeah i'll the Spielberg version, I'll watch it for the spectacle. I'll watch it for the set pieces. Um, mm -hmm. I, I can detach my mind enough to say this is a, a an interpretation of War of the Worlds, divorced from the War of the Worlds. And well, I just watch it yeah. for a, from a technical point of view, a special effects point of view. I mean, I was going to say it's almost War of the Worlds in title only, but that's not true. I mean, there's some some uh, elements to it. Not... And there's also a lot of straying from the story as well. But I think the biggest thing that I don't have, I don't know if I have a problem with it, but, but the biggest thing that stands out to me, and this is a Spielberg decision, I think more than anything, is that we Mars is never brought into the picture. They nope. are unidentified aliens, and I don't know that I like that. If you're going to call the movie War of the Worlds. Did you know they also don't mention the word alien in the film? Oh, either? I didn't know that, no. They never say alien, they never say Mars. Ah, okay, even, that makes it even stranger. It is very weird. I mean, we're going to be talking about the BBC version shortly, and it is odd that you've got this property and you make changes to it. But let's crack on. Let's talk about this sequence, okay. all right? So we've just had this typical Spielberg set piece of the tank battle, the tanks versus the tripods. We don't see any of the battle. We just see all these like soldiers and tanks going over the brow of a hill. And then you have all these massive explosions. Yeah, visually it, it's spectacular. All these burning Humvees come flying back over. And you've got this completely out of proportion tripod hood come up over the hill. <laughs> that can't work. When you see right. how how high that slope of that hill is, unless unless that tripod's laying down on the other side of that hill, there's no way that hood is that big just tucked behind that little hillock like that. 
Right. Anyway, um, so they take shelter. Oh, Tom Cruise and um, it's Rachel, isn't it? The character's called Rachel. Rachel yeah. and Ray, isn't it? Yeah, Dakota Fanning. That's it. Um, and they take shelter in to- Tim Robbins's cellar. He's there waving his gun, and they go in there. And Tim uh, I... Tim Tim Robbins. This is this is a change from the uh, from the story because he seems to be a mixture. He seems to be the curate from the book. Um, what with his slowly unhinged mind, uh, much like the book, and the artilleryman, because he's got this, you know, this um, naive optimism that we can fight back and we can live underground and stuff like that. That's the artilleryman. And he's called Ogilvy, Marlon Ogilvy. irritates me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not happy about that. He didn't need to be called Ogilvy. I understand why they did it. I mean, because that's a name... That's a very important name to the story, but this is not the Ogilvy character by any stretch of the imagination. Not at all. I mean, you're going to call him Ogilvy as a nod to the book. Well, why not call him the Martians as a nod yeah, to the book right, then, yeah. you know? Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Um, and he he almost cribs a line from the book about saying, this isn't a war, it's the same as men versus maggots. I don't yeah. I don't understand why they changed that. In, in the novel, it's men versus ants. Right. They, they, they mention that in the Orson Welles version, don't yep. they? You, you, you yep. know, it's no more as war as a war between men and ants. Changing yep. the maggots? Why? Why? What was wrong with ants? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so we don't have a cylinder in this version. We have the tripods are outside. They're doing something. You have this sound effect, quite a good sound effect, this mechanical sound effect going on. We don't know mm-hmm. what they're doing. They, they seem to be searching for things. Um, and I have a problem with, with you know, a, a moment later on in this film where they single out one person. They single out Tom Cruise later. Well, just go to a city and you can gr- gather all these pu- people up en masse <laughs> and put them in your basket, you know? Yep. And in this version, we do have red weed. It starts growing into the cellar. They're down in the yes. cellar. Um, and uh, in this sequence, Ogilvy starts getting a bit creepy with Rachel saying oh, about, yeah. you know, anything happens to your dad. And that's when the tension starts to brew. You, you, you know, Ray's like, you, you want to talk to anyone, you talk to me, you keep my daughter out of it. Um, and the outside noise stops. And this, at this point, this is the point where this, this film starts to get like the novel because the tentacle comes in, right? Yes. Now, I don't. It's obviously a clear homage to, yeah, yeah. You, you, you know, the '53 yep. version. But the way it's chrome and the way it so smoothly slides around, every time reminds me of the water tentacle in the abyss. Every yeah, time, yeah. And it's 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 just it's too long. It's it's there too long because for me, when I first see it, oh, that's that's cool. It's it's a, it's an homage to the George Pal one, and it's been modernized, and it's. And then it's on for a little longer. I'm like, okay, yeah, it's obviously computer animated. Then it's on even longer. It's like, wow, it's it's not only is it computer animated, but it's actually starting to look like bad computer animation because I'm looking at it way too long. Mm, yeah, but I do like it. I, I I do like I like the 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 lighting of it. It's very similar to the design of the tripods. I like I like. It would be nice if we had the three color lens thing. But, sure. Yeah. But no, no, no it, it's all right. I, I like this scene. I, th- this scene where they're scrabbling around inside the, uh, mm-hmm. in the basement and um, hide behind that mirror and then the tentacle sees the foot sticking foot, out. Yeah. How they know that the Martian's seen the foot, I don't know, but they managed to uh, creep out and that's really good. Um, but then in come the Martians. Yep. And this is my biggest problem with this film. Um 
what? <laughs> you know, uh, number one, number one, they're not original. They are clearly yep. Independence Day Martians. They are, uh, yeah, with uh, little squatty bodies, or I don't even know what we want to call them. Yeah, <sighs> and I, I never like when there's a metallic element to a skin on an alien because it just does not look I, I don't know that it's possible or not possible who knows we, we haven't seen every inch of the universe but it just never looks good in a movie and i i don't like looking at these things they, they i think are, they're a really bad design that they are a very bad design i'm thinking you you know what with their you know three legs and their like you know flat you know shell like head they're trying to make the martians look like the tripods yeah, they are. Yeah, right. So the tripods are modelled after what the Martians look like, but that don't work. Cars don't look like us. <laughs> Trains don't look like us. Why? Why would you have a craft modelled after what you look uh, like? This is true. This is yeah, true. Yeah, and 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 the the worst thing about them, I mean, they, they they look terrible. They look really really terrible. But they come across. They're not. They're meant to be. You know, in the novel. You know, in the fifty three version. You know, there's this thing about how their minds are vastly superior to us. Yeah. You know, these keen intelligence. These are just grunting monsters. If anything, these are more more like chimps. They're, They're just like curious about things and just you know just looking at. They they play with a wheel on a bike and then get startled when it falls off the wall. These yeah. aren't the the creatures that can operate a tripod. They seem to be operating more on instinct and reaction than intelligence. Yeah, it's like feeding time at the zoo yeah, or something. Right, exactly. At the ape yeah. house, you know. I'm not degenerating at all uh, apes here, by the way. <laughs> you know, apes aren't thick, clearly, you know. Um, but, right. oh, no, it's, it's all, this is my problem, my main problem with the film. Yeah, so Ogilvy goes to shoot at them. And we get this silent struggle as, you know, Ray and Ogilvy are, are struggling with a shotgun. And um, and as I say, they're playing with the, the wheel. I don't know if this is an, uh, a nod to the book in the H.G. Wells say that it's very curious that the Martians never developed the wheel. In all their technology, there is no fixed joint. There are no wheels. I don't know if that's a nod to it. I don't think so. I don't think they read that far. I, think I don't think so It's just a coincidence. Either. Yeah. 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 Um, but then they get called away by the, the tripod calling, and they run away. It, it is. It's just like a klaxon going off at the zoo, and they know it's yep. feeding time, and they run yep. away. And um, and our sequence ends with the red weed, which mm -hmm. is uh, spreading as, as the tripods leave. All right? So that's that's the Spielberg version, okay? Yes. Right. That, that, that was a lot briefer than the uh, 53 one, wasn't it? Well, that's about all it deserves to be talked about. Well, I, th I, think, I think we're sliding <laughs> down a slope here, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, you know? I think so. <laughs> all right, so behind the scenes on this one, um, Ogilvy's house that you see was a real farmhouse, okay? But uh, the existing cellar door on that real farmhouse was on the wrong side of the house for shooting. So they actually had to create a fake door on the other side of the house. And they dug a little pit, so which went down like two or three feet. So when they opened up the cellar doors, you know, the actors could actually just go down and then hunch down. And, you know, they weren't actually going down into a cellar. All right. All right. Okay. As I say, words alien and Martian are never spoken That's in the film. The alien part. The, I mean, you're right. 
now that I think back, but I just, I guess I put it in my head. They had to be something. I know it's War of the Worlds. They're, they're from space. I didn't yeah. realize it was nothing ever mentioned about that. No. I mean, you know, I've seen justification for it being that, you know, this book was written in Victorian times. People actually did think the canals of Mars mm. were dried up water canals and there are, are people up there, you know, and we now know that not to be true. But as you know from reading the Scarlet Traces graphic novel, the notion in that is the Martians that come from Mars aren't Martians. They were aliens that happened to be on Mars mm -hmm. from somewhere else and then traveled to Earth. You can explain it that way. Yeah, right. Don't just ignore it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, this, I've already talked about that, the whole maggots and <laughs> uh, substituting ants, okay? And um, there's another line from 1953 that Tim Robbins says. He says, once they begin to move, no more news comes out that area. That's what the colonel says in the 53 version, okay? Mm -hmm. So that's that. That's all the behind the scenes because it's CGI, it okay, is, yeah. Okay, so, you, you know, as I've said before on this show, if we're taking a CGI subject, really all we can talk about is design choices and editing and music and things like this. So taking that all into account, what we've just said there, we've got to do an accuracy thing now on this one, all right? Okay, this should be interesting. So, uh, a scullery, well, no, they're down in a basement, aren't right. they? So that's a no. A curate. He's not a curate, you know. He, he's an ambulance driver, I think he says. <laughs> All right, so that's no no cylinder. Uh, they do observe, you know. They do look out. They do have a fight. Uh, we do have a tentacle. And we do have the red weed, right? So that, that actually gives it a four out of seven. That's what I was... I was thought... Um, I was like, either going to be surprised of how low it is or how how... That it's actually more than the... The last one, because when you break it down, there are more elements than I realized watching it on yeah. the screen. So that's okay. I didn't think I thought uh, four is a little surprising. I thought it'd be a lot less or a lot more. But either way, I'm actually surprised by that answer. Mm. All right. Okay. So that's the it's the highest, most accurate one so far. Um, what about it, it for a special effects rating point of view? <sighs> See, this is tough because I. Well, I just don't even like looking at the aliens. And CGI, in our lifetime, it doesn't matter what they do. You watch a movie five years after it was made, CGI never holds up, no matter how stunning it was the time you saw it. It just It's like the nature of the beast. It's mm -hmm. like the more you're more exposed to it, the more you uh, get exposed to it, uh, the more you start to fine-tune what you're watching. So watching this was that was was rough. But for the time, I mean, I guess it was on par with everything else, but I just was not. I, I don't enjoy this half of the movie, and this is part of the, it's in the movie. So I, I don't want to say it's super low and trash it too bad, but I can't rate it that close to the, the work that was put into the George Powell one. So I'm going to take the safe middle of the road and just call it a five. Well, five is average, isn't it? Yep. You yeah. Know? So, so yeah, I mean, that's fair enough. Um, I, I'm a bit harsher t than you. Okay. okay. Um, because I like the tentacle. I think the tentacle is good, but those Martians are crap. That um, it's just yeah. a crap design that 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 dealt with stupidly. Um, so I gave it a four. So that gives okay. it a four and a half. So it's below yeah. average, which I think is a fair comment. Yeah. Maybe on the whole film, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Right now, 
2005 when this came out, people went to see it at the cinema. What they didn't realise was there was another version out in 2005, wasn't there? Yeah. Define out. Available. Yes. <laughs> um. it, it existed in 2005. It existed. We've seen many excuses for the uh, Pendrag, Pendragon Pictures uh, version. Um, yeah. One of them being that apparently it was meant to be out in 2001, but then the 9-11 attacks happened and they had to have a rethink. Uh, I don't believe any of it. Um, that's, that's just trying to excuse it. Yes, no, there was another version out in 2005, as I say, by Pendragon Pictures. And again, Matt and I have made our views on this production before, haven't we? <sighs> yeah, we have. Yes. That wasn't too long ago. I think that was like a, an episode in the 80s. I, um, we, we left it quite a while before we watched it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, again, folks, if, if, if you want to find out what we think about it, go back to the Neos as site, seek it out, and <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, all right, so here we go, the Pendragon Pictures version. They're drinking its blood. Like vampires. <laughs> this is a bit of a difficult one to really describe because it doesn't seem to exist unless you actually own a copy of this original version right it's not online i think they are ashamed of it i mean that's why they remade it or tweaked it two more times didn't they um, yes and then yeah i guess it's the second cut that is like a complete overhaul it's even a different story it's like a found footage Yes. Uh, documentary. Yes, but the, we're talking about the original one, the one that came out in 2005. And, well, as I say, you can listen to it on Neo Zaz, but I, all I'll say is you have to give them credit for the fact that they, were, they, they, they had the ambition to do a truly faithful adaptation of War of the Worlds. The fact yes. that they had no money, the fact that they had no experience or talent regarding CGI, the fact they had no talent or experience regarding acting, they had no talent or experience regarding editing, um, didn't seem to deter them. And in a very Ed Wood way, you've got to admire them for that. Agreed? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, I, I, the, pa- the passion to do this was there. It's just the skill level and the resources maybe or budget weren't. I mean, yes, yes. I mean... I'll give you that. I can't watch it because I sent you my copy, didn't I? And, yeah. And... Oh, you want it back? I'm happy no, to send no, it back. No, no. I said to you oh, at the time, okay. I don't want it back. I, yeah, I know. <laughs> my, my abiding memory of watching it is they filmed everything. They word for word, the the script is virtually word for word the whole book. They f- put everything into it. They they didn't know how to edit stuff. And my abiding memory, apart from the awful CGI and the awful acting, is. There are just endless shots of people walking down a path and then up a path, and it goes on and on and on. Yep. Yes, it does. <laughs> but but thankfully, we're not talking about the whole film. We're, we're, we're narrowing ourselves down to this sequence again. And as I say, they were very accurate. You've got a curate. They are observing the goings-on in, uh, in the pit caused by the cylinder. And, oh, my goodness, you do actually see the handling machines for the first time, don't you? Yeah, we do. Yep. And, oh, well, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> let's, 
like, like like when we did this subject before the Pendragon version before, it is shockingly bad. It it's yeah, it's to give if since it's going to be so hard to find, then I don't know that anyone would ever want to want to find this to be honest. But it, it really this is this is the best comparison I can describe to someone to. If you buy a DVD of a movie that's or Blu-ray at this point, or I guess a five. HD 4K, whatever you buy, and you're looking at like behind the scenes stuff, and they show mock-ups of digital uh, storyboards, and you have your footage of your actors or your scene. Let's say it's a field or something, and then you see just this very basic model barely move the 3D model across the screen to get an idea of what the camera move is going to be. That's the storyboard. That's a digital storyboard yep. to Hollywood. This is the final product for this movie, yep. basically. It all looks like previs, you know, sto yeah. digital storyboards, doesn't it? But yes. that's the finished product, you know? Yeah. And so when, I mean, the sequence, you know, I sent you, but you say it's been taken down now on YouTube. Yes, um, yes. When they're observing the handling machine, and you can't really tell what the bloody handling machine is. It's just a lot of... <laughs> legs and wires scuttling around and you get the odd you know we said before you know when you see the martians they're almost like 2d paper cutouts aren't they and you see them just moving around the the, 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 the picture as well you know what it finally dawned on me last night what they look like I, I don't know if this was a purely american pop culture thing from like the 80s the gong show days but there used to be this thing maybe these people still do it where you would like a guy would take a giant top hat and lower it over his torso and his arms and his shoulders, and then he'd wear a pair of pants that look like a mock suit with a shirt and tie, and then he'd paint a face on his stomach and pretend to whistle with his belly button. Yes, I know what you're talking that, about. Yeah. That's exactly what these, or that's what these, not exactly. That's what these things reminded me of last night watching this. Yeah, it is shockingly bad. And <laughs> when you can't even CGI a cow, you know, <laughs> because that I swear that cow's got a square head. Um, yeah. You know, it, it is bad. And then they they observe a, a woman who uh, like is standing still, having her clothes peeled off of her. Mm. And when they start draining her of blood, she instantly turns into a skeleton. Skeleton. Yes. Mm, mm. It is awful. Um, anybody listening who has their you know curiosity peaked, um, I don't know if you know what you're letting yourself in for. I'm sure they're available on eBay. I'm sure if you um, um, type it, it in, you can find it. And uh, woe betide you if you should buy one. But they, it is, it it's almost the nadir, isn't it, of um, special effects? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I can't remember what we voted for, um, you know, when we looked at Pendragon last time, but what oh, do you vote boy. on it this time? Oh, God. I mean, what do you, what do you, how, do you vote, how do you rate this? It's, it's like it is a class oh, by itself and awful. I remember. I remember now what we vo vo voted. I remember what our final tally is because, you know, we, we give ours and then we get the average. And, yes, okay. quite rightly, I mean, when we discussed it before, it was the uh, – the Martians heat ray firing for the first time, and oh god! Oh, what a yeah. surprise! It's the it's the lowest score ever on this show. It's zero point four. <laughs> the final score was. Um, so, what do you reckon? I mean, does it top zero point four? You know what? It, I, I say it will, and this is why. There's there's one redeeming factor in this: is that 
the house that they're digging through, they took some... I don't know what the behind the scenes are. I doubt you have any. If no, you I've do, got none, because they've kept quiet so, about it, and it, they've hushed it up. You know? <laughs> Somehow, they got a hold of a structure that they managed to fill with a ton of crap like it had been destroyed. So I'm going to give them props for that. I'm going to give them one point for that and take nine away for the rest of the CGI <laughs> sequence. I was going to give it a one as well. So, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. It's 0.6 higher than the heat ray. Right. <laughs> but that, that doesn't mean anything. It's still like second to bottom. Oh, dear. Right. But we've skipped over accuracy before we got to rating, Oh, well. Right? Oh, so, actually, 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 I'm curious about this. As I say, you know, they have to be commended for sticking. Yep. And, and to date, live action-wise, this is the most faithful version of the H.G. Wells novel because we have got a scullery. We have got a curate. We have got a cylinder. They do observe what's going on. Oh, God, do they observe it. Um, <laughs> every, it ticks all the boxes. It gets a seven out of seven. So, so for, okay. for all its failings, this is the most faithful. Just before, <laughs> just before the BBC version came out, they're going. This is the most faithful live action version. It's not. The BBC one is far, far from that. Yeah, that's what I. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was. Uh, yeah, go, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. You're, after you, Matt. No, are we under the BBC one now? We're going on. I... To, we're going on to the BBC now. We're, okay, we've got a bit of a problem here because. It's not been released in the U.S. yet. Yes, that's what I was going to say. And, you know, at this point, I was super excited when you first showed me this. It feels like two, three years ago. It, that it feels was like it, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I was ready for it. And then the first trailer or commercial came out and I was like, oh, okay, there's some things. But it's hard to tell from a 60 second if it was even that trailer. But, man, the, when it got released... And the more, not only you, but other War of the World Facebook sites, even some other friends of mine in England that have seen it. I, I Now I'm like, if I, if I have the opportunity to see it, I'll watch it. But I'm no longer really even making that big of an effort to watch it at this point. It is very telling, and this says it all, that the day after the last episode aired here in the UK, it was available everywhere in the supermarkets. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I have not bought it. You know, yeah. because I've said about this on, on my War of the Worlds page, I'm stunned that, you know, a company like the BBC, who have a long, noble right. tradition of taking classic novels and doing classic, faithful adaptations, be it Nicholas Nickleby, Jane Eyre, you know, Christmas Carol, you know, whatever, you know, and they've stuck true to it, have produced a version where I can understand... Because the book was written, it was of its time. There is yeah. not much in the way of female characters, okay? So you've got to up that a bit. I totally understand that. I totally get that. But to actually, you know, remove whole classic yeah. <laughs> classic segments from the book to either ignore them completely or have them mentioned in a sentence... To switch switch characters around and change that person is now doing that and stuff like I don't understand. If if it's because of a technical point of view that you can't afford to show the opening of the cylinder, because of course we've got to we've got to state here that this has been delayed by a year, and there are all sorts of rumours that oh the special effects aren't ready. I think it might be a case of they are 
bitten off more than the, they could chew. Mm. They didn't have the budget to do it, so we've got to do a rewrite, you know. So I, for anyone who hasn't watched the BBC version yet, I'm trying to be diplomatic here and not say too much, but there are th- classic moments that you're, you're you're hoping to see that are just not there. So number one, you know, it, I'm I'm not giving anything away. There is no cylinder. It's a giant yeah, cannonball. It's, it's a ball, <laughs> right? And I'm not going to say what happens to the ball, Matt. Eventually, you will see it. But it's oh, like yeah, yeah. all the way through. It, this production is a WTF production <laughs> for anyone who knows anything about War of the Worlds. It's like a, eh? um, and there are whole segments missing that you want to see you know, that are standout moments from the book, and they're not there, you know. In fact, you've got new scenes, you've got new subplots that don't really make any... They are pointless. You have a post-apocalyptic segment going on as well. You keep flashing to forwards into the future, because apparently when the Martians died, the red weed didn't die, and that's what finished the Earth off right Mm. so it all becomes this post-apocalyptic thing and all the way through i think it was the second episode i'm watching it and i was actually just updating on facebook and instagram nothing about war of the worlds i was just bored and i should not be (laughs) bored watching war of the worlds no you should not all right so i have sent you a link so you've seen the sequence we're talking about you haven't watched the whole thing but but you've seen this haven't you all right correct yes well all I'll say, Matt, is what we're just about to talk now is indicative of the rest of it. That's too bad. Yeah. So this isn't <laughs> this isn't a, a small glitch in an otherwise sterling effort. This is the level of all of it. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. So here we go. The BBC version. Right. Hang on. I've just got to make a note of the time code. Uh, okay. There's nothing else here. We can't stay. <laughs> Run. Missy, come on. I'll wake up. She won't wake up. George, come there on. isn't time. Grab the girl. Get out of cover. So, we've got George. George is, in the book, he's the narrator, okay? And they decided to give him the name of George. Fine, that was H.G. Wells's second name. That's the G in H.G. Wells, mm-hmm. right? Okay. And his partner, Amy, okay? Not his wife, but he's got a partner, okay? <laughs> That's a ridiculous, irrelevant, pointless subplot. And his brother, who, you know... They, the two of them don't meet. In the novel, you've got the narrator's story going on outside London, and then you've got uh, his brother trying to escape from London into Essex and find a way out of England, all right? Mm-hmm. But they've taken a refuge in a house, and uh, the black smoke, at least they've got the black smoke in it, is hanging over them. And uh, they wander out, okay, 
and they wonder why there's a crashed tripod. There's no crashed cylinder, there's a tripod. You can't see it's a tripod because they haven't got the money to show you a crashed tripod. It's just this lump at the side of the house, you know, and it's landed in the courtyard and they haven't heard it. Another thing about the BBC version is there is no sense of menace at all. Um, you you see tripods, there's no build-up to them appearing. You don't hear a boom as their footsteps are coming along. Their their call is terrible. Um, and so, yeah, a tripod has fallen over. They don't understand. Obviously, the Martians are dying, but they don't understand what's going on. Um, Timothy Spall, you know, the guy who plays George, is mm-hmm. terrible. The acting... From him, is he really? Uh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the lady who plays um, Amy, she's really good, but he, you've got you. If you're gonna watch any, I, I, I'll see if I can find it later. I'm gonna send you a link to his acting when he first sees a tripod looming over oh, a God. church, <laughs> because it looks just like he's looking at a bus timetable when they've changed the bus timetables. Oh, you know the, the the amount of emotion that's in it. Um, yeah, see, he didn't he didn't bother me in the scene that I saw because I guess because there's a lot of whispering and a lot of yeah. like hustling around, so he didn't really have much to perform with. No, it's kind of disappointing to find out it's really at that level all all the way around. He is, all, <laughs> he is so wet and he's so useless uh. and um an old dear. Um, so they try building up sp- suspense by showing clips of a Martian. You just see a little bit here, a little bit there, and noises that it's making as it's scuttling around in this house. And um, and another tripod arrives, but as is usual in this version, you don't see it. They just say mm. another tripod has arrived. Um, and like I say, it, it's very tricky to pull off this alu. In, 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 in the book, it's called an alu, you know, this, mm. this noise the tripods make. And this sounds just like somebody blowing down a, a drain pipe. <laughs> That's all it sounds like. And it's so low in the mix that you don't really notice it. It could be anything. It could be somebody flushing the toilet upstairs or something like that. Oh, that should be a real massive trembling, you know, dust falling down from the ceiling, you know, subwoofer moment. But you've just got a bloke blowing down a pipe. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so they hide under a table as this searchlight comes in. And there's a, there's a sick lady in a chair and it sees her. Um, and they say, oh, it's seen her. And again, with the Tom Cruise one, why go to all this effort just to pick up one person? Yeah, right. You know? And then we get, and again, this is a, a, a throwback to the Spielberg version, you get a growl, okay, and then footsteps. And then finally we see the Martians. These crappy three-legged, under-detailed, unfinished, they look like uh, previous uh, things as well. There's no form. You don't believe for one second that that thing is there. It's got no face. It's got no features. You can't actually see what's going on with it. Yeah, that, th- that design is awful. I I, I don't how, uh, know how that got into this. It's so bad. I've seen comparisons to the bugs in Starship Troopers, and this is exactly how they're behaving. They have three legs which end in spikes. They just go down into a point. But we're led to believe these creatures operate those tripods. How can you build and operate a tripod when all you've got (laughs) is three points? You know? It's... It's got no fingers. The the, the whole thing of this, beginning to end with this design, 
is so weird because it's well all right let me go back i'll tell i want to tell this story quick the sound is an odd choice too it sounds like a rusty door mm. and I, in fact it, what it sounds exactly like and i mean exactly like is i have because of the i live in central florida which is 800 percent humidity at all times and we like to keep our ceiling fans on and keep a nice airflow through the house so i leave this the door i'm in the office I'm in right now recording, I leave that open, but I also, we have like a, a pet gate on it. It's a little less uh, elaborate than a child gate. And that's what that sounds like, is that thing opening and closing. Mm. And I actually got up from watching this wondering which one of our animals had stuck <laughs> through the gate. I'm like, the thing's shut. How did that happen? And I heard it again. I'm like, oh, that sounds coming from the TV. And I was like, that is an awful sound design for this. That's meant to be a Martian. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And then... Where are the tentacles? Uh, did I just not? Do we see them later? I mean, no. the, the no. tentacles are specifically laid out in the story and in every other no. All he's audio got description is a I've ever heard. He's got a spike which comes out of nowhere, which stabs the old lady. Yeah. And we don't know to begin with in this sequence what he's doing to her, but it turns out later that they are eating flesh. But he's not. He's like liquidizing her and then sucking it up. Why can't they just drink blood like it is in the book? Yeah, yeah. The the, the whole point of the Martians in the book is they are so super involved. They are are effectively a brain, all right? And they don't need to eat. They just inject blood directly into their own bloodstream. They don't need to go through the processes of digestion. They just need fresh blood. But no, here apparently it eats people. They eat people. This was very... Uh, what's the word I used before? It's like more of instinctual reaction type. Like I have a opportunity to feed, I'll I'll take it. It's it's yeah, it's very animalistic as opposed to the super intelligent Martians that like they're supposed to be. You're absolutely right. Just like the Spielberg one, you're supposed yeah. to believe yeah. that these are intelligent species. Uh, no, no. Yeah, yeah. So the brother here, the brother who George isn't supposed to meet. I, I'm taking he's he's taking the the role of the artilleryman because he's quite belligerent and you know wants to take the the fight to them and they they he, he all the way through this you know that there is a Martian who has just eaten a lady and dragged her out. They continue to talk in normal voices. There's no sense that the Martians are just outside. They must be outside, but they carry on talking. In fact, they start arguing. Because he's saying about, well, we've got to make some fire bombs and blah, 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 and all like this. Um, oh, it's it, all the way through. I'm just sitting there going, what? <laughs> you know, what? <laughs> what? And there's a very clumsy new bit put in. I don't know if it's in the, um, in the clip that I sent you, Matt. But George starts believing that it's England's fault that this is all happening. Do you know about oh, this? Oh, I don't recall that, no. Right. I mean, you know, um, H.G. Wells put an awful lot of his world and his life into his novels. I mean, one of the reasons they say that, you know, um, Amy, instead of being his wife, is basically his mistress was because he had a mistress at the time and it was a bit of a scandal. So oh, yeah, let's yeah. <laughs> put that in as a subplot. He also, H.G. Wells, was anti-colonialism. He hated the fact that England would be so arrogant as to go out and just arrive at a country and take it over. And this is this is the way we do it, you know, like it or lump it, mate. And 
it's 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 literally taken and put in George start saying it's England's fault this is happening this is what England does to the rest of the world we barge in we take over we have technology these people have never seen before blah blah but it's so clumsily done by an actor <laughs> who's not at his best uh. you know mm. um so they go to escape they go to go outside there's a sick Martian outside and there's also a little girl, I didn't say, but there's a little girl in there, and she she gets killed by a Martian who happens to be up on the ceiling that seems to have been there all the time and nobody ever noticed, so that's rubbish. And the brother is killed, that doesn't happen in the book, by firebombing a Martian, okay? And they run back inside, George and Amy run back inside, it's only George and Amy now, they shut the door, the Martians clearly know they're in this house, they don't do anything about it, and they carry on nattering normally, and eventually, spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen it, George goes out and sacrifices himself to a Martian so Amy can escape. Yeah, I don't remember that happening in the book. No, no. And it's... <laughs> what if it happened in the book, that's the end of the book, because he's the narrator. That's true, you're right, yeah. yeah. And that's how it ends. She runs out. It's before the red weed has spread, so we've got no red weed in this, you know. And I can't believe, you know, when, when we first started getting word that you and I got excited, the BBC are going to do a, a, a faithful adaptation set in the correct time period of The War of the Worlds. This is going to be amazing, and then we started getting stills of the rusty cannonball for a cylinder. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. no, that can't be right. They're going to add something in pre-production to turn that into a cylinder. Nope. You nope. Know? Um, and it's, it's, it's such a shame. I mean, I, I've seen, you know, on social media, people get absolutely livid and angry about this. I mean, I'm not livid and angry. It's just, it's just a disappointment. I can't believe. Yeah. And especially, you know, if the... The, the the decisions to change things are from a technical point of view and you couldn't afford to do it. Well, why do it in the first place? Wait until yeah. you've got enough money, you know? Right. Yeah. So we've got to rate this. Now, you haven't seen – you've only seen that one bit. Is That's it, all I've seen. Is yes. it possible for you to give it a rating from that one scene? I mean, I could try. It's It's – as much as I don't like the design of the Martian, which I, I don't by any stretch of the imagination, it did look pretty real. It's the realest of all the ones that we talked about. It's also the newest. So mm -hmm. that just, that just like I said, in five years, it's not going to hold up. I didn't have a problem with the acting, but it's also because of the sequence that I saw. There was a all lot right. of whispering. There wasn't a lot of talking. So, uh, but between the design and really the design is what kills this for me. It's, it's, it's awful. But I'll give it a couple points for looking real and i can't give it a one because pendragon is so awful but I can't, go more, <laughs> I can't go more than a three because there is no excuse for that design especially when you have that's the one thing they had absolute control over they could have done anything they wanted because it was computer animated and that's what they chose it's that's it blows my mind mm. so what do you give it i'd say three at best without seeing everything else yeah no three is about right i'd say three okay yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Well, that's it. That's our um, sequences over. But I thought before we go, as pod podcasting is an audio medium, I thought we would just mention just some of the more. Oh, hang on. Before we do that, we haven't done the accuracy. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, right, yes. Hang on, before... Right, accuracy, right? I've got that down as one, because they do... Act, <laughs> they do... Yes, I, was, I was thinking you were going to say two, because I knew of one, and I was like, there's probably one I missed. I was going to go two. Nope, I didn't miss any No, no, you didn't miss any. Right, there's a, it's a one. So out of all of them so far, we've got three, four, seven, one. Okay, the most, the most modern one is the least accurate one. Mm. All right. No, as I was saying, as, as as this is audio, I thought before we go, we'll just mention a couple of the uh, audio ad- adaptations that there have been. Okay. Okay. Um, now, I should have, but I didn't, um, listen to the Orson Welles uh, version before we started today. Is there anything approaching this scene in the Orson Welles version? I can't remember there being anyone trapped in a house with a Martian. There, there, there's a scene in the house with the artillery men, but they're not really trapped because Orson Welles really walks away from him. So I think they kind of just took the idea of uh, being inside somewhere to set that scene. There's, 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 uh, there's mention of it. Actually, there's mention of it when he's going through his diary. He talks about how he had hid, hidden a house as Martians had gone by doing something i forget the details so no there's not a direct scene of it but it is acknowledged okay all right fair enough all right okay the next one i wanted to point out was the jeff wayne version then on the ninth day we saw the martians eating inside the hood of their new machine they were draining the fresh living blood of men and women and injecting it into their own veins I've been given a sign. They must be cast out. And I have been chosen to do it. I must confront them now. No, Parson, no. Those machines are just demons in another form. I shall destroy them with my prayers. I shall burn them with my holy cross. I shall... The curious eye of a Martian appeared at the window slit and a menacing claw explored the room. I dragged the parson down to the coal cellar. I heard the Martian fumbling at the latch. In the darkness, I could see the claw touching things. Walls, coal, wood. And then it touched my boot. I almost shouted. For a time, it was still, and then, with a click, it gripped something. The parson, with slow, deliberate movements, his unconscious body was dragged away, and there was nothing I could do to prevent it. And as I say, um, for a lot of people, that is their definitive version of War of the Worlds. And it is a classic, you know. I, I mean, I've, I've, I've listened to it for 40 years, you know, when it first <laughs> came out on that double cassette box, you know, I practically wore the tape out. It, it got so thin. And a lot of people, you know, derive, you know, all their information of War of the Worlds, what the tripods look like, you know, from it. And it is an incredibly good work. I can't remember. Are you, are you a fan of the Jeff Wayne version? Oh yeah, the musical yeah. version. Yeah, and, yeah. and and it is pretty authentic, isn't it? Um, in fact, it's so authentic. I think it ticks every box. It's got everything <laughs> because you have you've got the scullery, you've got the curate, you've got the cylinder. They do observe what's going on. Um, you know, they do have a fight. He's called a parson for some reason. I don't know why Jeff 
Wayne changed it from a um, a curate to a parson, but there you go. Um, they do have a fight. You do have the tentacle come in and grab his foot and pull him out. You do have the red weed. So the Jeff Wayne version is as accurate as the Pendragon version, but that's not a surprise because when you're talking audio, the, your only limit is your imagination and sound effects, basically, isn't it? You can True. you can yeah, put anything absolutely. in. Yeah. So that got a seven out of uh, uh, seven out of seven. All right. Okay. Um, the next one um, is the Sherwood Productions yes. ver- version. You're not eating or drinking anything more today. I keep away from the slit. You want to see them. You want to watch them. You try to understand what you should accept. I accepted you. I could have left you. May well have saved us both. It will not have saved your wife. I will pray for her. Why? What good will it do? You think... You're the only one in these last days who has prayed? Did he pray? Who? While you hid down there, these last four days, in the scullery and the coal cellar, eating and drinking what little we have, I went back and watched. The day after we first heard people in the pit. It was night. But the pit was lit by the green light from the Martians' machines. I watched as they reached into their cage and pulled a man out. He was a stout, ruddy, middle-aged man, well-dressed. A few days before, he must have been walking the world, a man of consequence. I could see his staring eyes, and the light glinted on his studs and watch chain. He struggled, but... They held him down. Then, ignoring his shrieks of pain and terror, they drained the living blood out of his body and injected it into their own veins. They need us for food. There were other people in the cage, other men and women and children it's empty now I I can't get the image out of my mind what are your feelings on this Matt um I (laughs) I enjoyed it but I I guess I expected more from it for such a long wait. I was when I downloaded the file. I was surprised it was only an hour and a half when I've had had listened to things that are much longer than that adaptations. And like I said, it's good, but it's not better than a couple other ones I've heard that have been faithful adaptations as well. So it's a little bit of a letdown for the amount of time I had to wait for yeah. it. But the final product is very good. It's very accomplished. It's very professional. I do enjoy it. Yes, the there was a massive wait, wasn't there? You know, yeah. practically every month we were going, nope, still no news. Yeah. Do you remember for about a year? I don't know what the delay was, but um, I think it's very well done. Like you, I was stunned it was only like an hour, hour and a half, hour 40, something like that. But 
I was listening to it again the other day, and I think it's very clever how, and I, I know you're a fan of the uh, the original Star Wars radio versions. Absolutely, yes. And what is very jarring when you listen to those now is where they actually describe what they're looking at, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, Darth Vader, when he's fighting, you know, Obi-Wan on the Death Star at the end, he says, Obi-Wan, why have you stopped? Why are you doing yeah. this? You know, a bit jarring. What I like about the Sherwood one is they, through clever use of dialogue, they, they you at no point do you have the narrator saying, oh my God, what is that? Through sound effects or references afterwards... So when he discovers the tripod during the lightning storm, you just hear him going, oh, my God, oh, my God, blah, 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 and, and lots of sound effects. And it's afterwards that you find out what he was talking about. And I think that's very clever. And I, I, I commend them for doing that. Um, but no, I, I think it's good fun. I think it's good fun. It's, yeah. it, it, it's very accurate. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, the only thing it hasn't got is the tentacle. Um, the, he doesn't, because of course the narrator can't, in that scene where he's fighting with the drunken curate and he's knocked out, you hear it all through sound effects and then somebody digs him out the house, okay? So you don't find out what happened to the curate because the only way you could explain that would be him saying, what is that? Oh my God, it's a tentacle. Oh, it's pulling the curate (laughs) out. So they avoided that. So that drops a point. That's only down to six. Okay. All right. And then I wanted to finish on um, something that I am going to put on the podcast is the thing that got me into this uh, passion right from the beginning is my old 60s record. It's 12 hours now that that Martian tripod has been patrolling this neighborhood. Yes, Sergeant, but we might still be safe here in this cellar. Until it goes away. You mean, if it goes away? Boy, open the door a crack again and see if there's daylight up there yet. Yes, sir. The sun's just coming up. But there's that rumble of that machine again, close by. God must have sent us them as our final judge... judgment. The minister has fainted. No, Smith. He's dead. His heart finally gave out. He was through more than we've been. His mind had taken too much. The machine! It stopped outside the house! Get back away from that door now! There was a rock. Wait, boy. Let me have a look up the stairwell. It senses we're here. A tentacle is reaching through the room above toward the stair to this cellar. Professor... Does it hear us? No, I don't think the Martians hear things at all. They seem to sense things. Wait! Quick, the tentacle is hovering at the top of the stair. Over there! Get into that far corner! Bring the minister's body! Quick! It's behind the door now. Are you sure it can't hear us? I can't be sure, but it does sense us that we're here. The knob on the door. It's turning. The the door's opening! Um, This bell made by Bell Records, and it was called A High Camp Adventure. And I sent you a CD of it, didn't I? Yes. Do you remember? Yes, in fact, I have... It's funny, I have... Um, I literally have a War of the Worlds stuff box in my closet, and I had to dig out the DVD you sent 
to me, and the CD's in there too. I've since copied it on my computer for convenience, but yep, so it's actually sitting next to me right now in a box. Yeah, I'm I'm glad I can put this on this podcast because um, that's ground zero, as I've said before, for my War of the Worlds um, love, was getting this record when I was about five years old, being the creep the heck out of it you know and <laughs> and this sequence is very good and it is very creepy I'm, I'm i'm putting in the audio from when the tentacle comes in and oh, okay and yeah i mean now listening to it as a 50 something you know um you know you just know that what they're using for the sound effect of the martians outside is some sort of like printing press it's some mechanical recording they've got i think it's the same thing you see in the original fly it's the sound same sort of sound effect but ah, okay. that was brilliant that was brilliant for a, like a five-year-old me to listen sure. to and and it's still yeah. terrific now it's not very accurate it only gets a four because you get the scullery, you get the curate who dies out of, you know, fear. He, he's not drunk and he doesn't fight with anybody else that's there. But they do see what's going on and you do have the tentacle. So that only got a four. All right. Oh, okay. I mean, we could go on all night. We could do all sorts of audio uh, versions yeah, and, okay, yeah. and maybe we'll do that for another show another time. But looking at my little tally sheet here, um, the most accurate versions we've discussed on this show today is the Jeff Wayne audio version. But if you're talking visually, it's the Pendrag- <laughs> the Pendragon Pictures version. Can you believe? Yeah, I, well, I can, because like you said, they left no detail unturned. I mean, in this scene alone, he says, I count 16 tentacles. I'm like, yeah, I know you do, because I watched you count them. <laughs> they didn't let lack of talent get oh. in the way, did they? Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay, so that's, that, that, that's been good. So, yeah, thanks, thanks for this, Matt. This has been great fun. I've, I've enjoyed researching it, even the duff ones I've, I, I've liked <laughs> um, going back and, and re-experiencing. Yes, thank you. I always enjoy discussing these uh, the, I, I like these the compilation ones where we get the whole gambit although i think yeah. i think we kind of were the scales were a little off balance in this one but it was still fun it was no it was no kong that might be the, the most brutal one yes <laughs> <laughs> that's an apt uh, um, comparison yeah yeah <laughs> all right excellent well thank you matt um it's been nearly a year since we talked we cannot cannot have that be so long nope. next time all right so, i agree so we've got to sort something out for next time all right All right. Sounds great. All right. Cheers then, Matt. See you then. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.